Hello, and welcome to Bright Lights, Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm your totally normal-sounding data host, Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your planning host, Mike Armstrong. Um, And we have with us today Toby O'Berry, who is the executive director of the Iowa Homeless Youth Centers. That's right. Um, So we're very excited to have you here. One of the reasons we wanted to bring you in, as well as some of the other people we have lined up later this month, is that it's December. It's a time of giving. Right. So we really wanted to highlight and elevate some of the fantastic nonprofits working in our community for positive change. And we're very excited to have you here. It's sort of the kickoff for the month of December for us. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we we love our stats here on Bright Lights Big Data, so we can say, you know, 100% of the people on this podcast were sick in the last week, so (laughs) Mike is going to do most of the talking for us today. Yeah, so it is not the audio equipment, it is us. It is. I have not been recast. (laughs) It's just laryngitis. (laughs) Toby, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about what do you do and how did you get here? Sure. So I'm the director at Iowa Homeless Youth Centers, so we work with transition age, at-risk, or homeless youth between the ages of 16 to 24 and kind of help them get back on their feet, be successful. Uh, We help with employment, education, support, housing assistance, community engagement, really anything what a stable adult would do in a young youth's life. And most of the youth that we work with have no one that they can count on or rely on. Mm -hmm. That's where we step in and kind of help them get back on their feet uh, and be successful. I feel like a lot of the people we've talked to so far are very focused, and I mean, Mm -hmm. I know I at least feel very focused, but you cover such a broad range of impacts on these these kids. Yeah, it's really looking at even multi-generational, that you're looking to break the cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have multiple times, the six years that I've been here, where we've seen siblings or children of past participants that you're seeing that cycle of poverty continue Uh, and our objective is to break that cycle to help that youth be successful which is only going to help then those future generations of Iowans be successful yeah so tell me a little bit you know what was your path getting to this position yes it's kind of a an interesting backstory so I am not the traditional nonprofit executive I do not have a MSW (laughs) master's in social work Uh, I went to Luther College, got my undergrad in management and economics. I went out to the University of Denver, got my MBA in finance and real estate, worked for Merrill Lynch, and then I moved to New York, worked for Morgan Stanley, did corporate real estate, almost kind of like the investment banking route. Mm -hmm. Very focused on financial wealth for myself. Happened to work in Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. Uh, Was there that day, Uh, worked on the 56th floor. And it had a significant impact in me and my life and kind of my thought on my impact and what I can do in the community. And so that was a turning point for me that I then ended up moving back to Iowa, worked at Principal, helped manage a real estate mutual fund for a couple of years, but really wanted to get into nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. Started volunteering, which really was what I would say to listeners is if you're wanting to get interested in either working in a nonprofit or participating, volunteering is the best way. Yeah. Uh, that pick an agency, pick an organization, and then just ask them how you can help. They yeah. will tell you uh, <laughs> what they need. Yeah. Uh, so don't go in with any no, notions. Here's what we're I want to do. <laughs> uh, that, that they love to, to hear that. Uh, so I volunteered at Orchard Place, served mm-hmm. on their board, but really wanted to make that career change. And I sent out a lot of resumes. No one would hire someone with an MBA. Or <laughs> I know, shocking, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no one believed that I would take a pay cut or, or would kind of change that path in life. 
but my father was a founding board member at Iowa Homeless Youth Centers. I grew up as a kid volunteering with him. We would put our grill in the back of the car and we would go down to the, our youth center and uh, cook food for the youth that, that were there at the time. So I grew up with the agency mm-hmm. yeah. and they knew me. And it was interesting that I was looking for jobs. They had one opening as an administrative assistant. And I said, yep. I'll do that. Wow. You should be able to do anything in, in it as long. I just want a foot in the door. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was hired as the administrative assistant, answered phones, learned a lot. And it was interesting that about six months in, the director at the time transitioned out. And so we were left in the middle of a capital campaign oh. uh, under a lot of duress. And they asked me to apply and interview, and I did, and, and, and stepped into that role. And it's really been about the best six years of my life. And I just enjoy being part of this agency, it's really kind of my forever home. Uh, my wife does have her MSW, so she was a longtime school social worker. She's now a therapist. And so I, I would always kind of use her as a resource mm-hmm. uh, and my kind of sounding board. And so I have that skill set. It's not mine personally, but I think that financial piece tied with uh, the folks that are clinical makes us a stronger agency because at the end of the day, it is a business and mm-hmm. needs to operate like a business. Right. Yep. So... In a roundabout way, that's how I got into uh, nonprofit work. Yeah. So, well, thank you for sharing that with us and for for all the work that you do in yeah. Iowa. So, what are some common misconceptions about your work in IHYC? I think typically it's why are these kids homeless? Uh, are they lazy? Mm-hmm. Uh, why can't they just get a job? And I think it's just understanding the backstory that 60 percent of the youth that we work with have been physically or sexually abused. So they really have lost that lottery mm-hmm. of being born into a situation that they had no control over. So under duress, they have to take whatever they can, clothing, backpack, whatever, and, and leave. And this is across the state of Iowa, and they come to Des Moines for resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they have no support systems. They have no help or assistance. Uh, they didn't ask for this. Some of them do have substance abuse or mental health struggles, but that's not the underlying factor for why they're homeless. Sometimes that substance abuse issue is just them coping with the trauma that they've been through. And so it's really a misconception that that they're lazy or that they don't Mm -hmm. want to better themselves, that really they just need that opportunity or someone to believe in them and just be a stable, positive adult, which is really what our staff are trained to do, uh, to lift them up because homelessness doesn't define the youth that we work with. It's just a certain situation that they're in. They can get out of it. They're amazingly resilient. They just need an opportunity to get back on their feet, and and they do, and and they will. I mean, I shouldn't be at this point anymore, but like every time, like every year or so, when the new statistics come up, it's Mm -hmm. amazing just... The sheer volume. Right. Um, we work with over 600 youth annually at Iowa Homeless Youth Centers, which is a big number. Yeah. There's thousands uh, in Polk County and, and even statewide, uh, 11, 12,000 that are homeless a year. So it's really hidden. I think the youth mm-hmm. component is even more hidden yeah. because that's a defense mechanism as well and safer if you can't be identified. Um, it's really that individual who maybe has a backpack. They're blending in with the community. They look like a college student. And it's difficult to find. We have a street outreach team that actually goes out into the community, goes to camps, finds youth that are on the streets, provide services. Uh, instead of just waiting for them to, to find us, right. we actually want to go out and, yeah. and find them. But yeah, it's definitely a, the statistics are, are shocking. And I think it's something that all Iowans need to pay attention to. Yeah, how many 16, 24-year-olds 
are good at asking for help, period. Right. Say nothing about, you know, those who are in, under duress and, and such yep. need. And their brains aren't mm-hmm. developed uh, at that age, and they really don't have that that support system. You talked a little bit about data. I enjoy data a lot. I have a 12C financial calculator that I keep with me, my budgets, my staff make fun of me a little bit. Uh, But I love looking at outcomes and measures and performance and tracking some of that. And when I first came onto the agency, I was able to look and sort our data of youth that we served in that year by zip code. And so I'm like, that's really interesting. And I sorted it and I looked at my zip code, 50312, and we had eight youth that we served from that zip code, my zip code, my mm-hmm. where I live, that really strikes home that it isn't just a downtown Des Moines problem, a south side or a north side problem. It's statewide. It's all over. We have youth who graduate or from Waukee or Urbandale or Johnston. These kids are coming from all over across all social economic components. Really, that underlying factor is that home life is not safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just a tough situation, but they can get through it, and, and they do. So this question is usually for um, other positions. <laughs> okay. It seems, it is seems it spelling very, or math? It seems or? very obvious, but um, <laughs> we'll ask it anyway. Why should the community care about what you do? <laughs> I, I think that is a fair question, though, to ask any social service or nonprofit of why, because it's limited resources in the community. If you have dollars that you want to give to a charity or an organization, is it best used and, and aligned with what our community needs are? Our agency really strives to help youth get back on their feet, which also betters the entire community. Because when you look at community resources and the drain on um, fire and police, jail, emergency room visits, it's really expensive for our community and we all pay that Mm -hmm. and it's really something that if we can reduce the drain on those community resources by helping youth on the front end and then even so that they're contributing back into the community (coughs) as a taxpayer it's extremely beneficial Uh, it's reasons why united way funds uh, our agency so heavily Mm -hmm. and why community partners are aligned with our mission and in the knowledge that it isn't just a handout and then they just keep getting a handout. It's really a hand up and then they're self-sufficient. And it's yeah. solving an issue holistically versus just putting a Band-Aid on something. That when you're going to make an investment or partner with our agency, it's really transformational work is what our objective is. Yeah, that's a lot of the language that has started to filter into government and transportation. Is the more and more we work with public health officials, it's more and more about upstream interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more effective, cheaper, can have like a wider array of positive outcomes instead of waiting until they're requesting those emergency services. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Even with youth who maybe are struggling with mental health uh, challenges and are people are wondering, why do we need to fund mental health support systems in our community? My kid's fine. Like, we don't need to deal with that. By helping that youth who's in need, who maybe is in your son or daughter's class and being disruptive in your class... That child, getting that intervention and that support will help your child because that stabilizes your classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at it from a bigger perspective than just narrowing in on my kid's fine, everyone else can do whatever, that it's just looking at that community. We're one community. We need to provide resources for those less fortunate. And with our agency, it's really that emphasis on we think everyone deserves to have their own bed. And if you have someone who doesn't have a bed, then you need to step in and help that individual. And that crosses greater issues than than just homelessness and i think it's something that our community is is looking to to understand and embrace yeah and i imagine some of the difficulty is telling the story that 
you know, they are there in the first place if, you know, you live in, say, an Ankeny mm -hmm. or Altoona, and, like, they are in your community, too. This is not a Des Moines problem. Yep. Mm -hmm. It really is one where we, we get that a, a little bit, where it's, oh, Ankeny doesn't have homeless youth, mm -hmm. and we're like, I can drive you to where they are. Would you? <laughs> yeah. And so we do that. We do, volunteers can come with our street outreach team and ride in our van after training and and see that and, and experience what that looks like. Uh, and then maybe that changes that culture or that belief that this isn't in our community or our neighborhood. And it, and it is kind of a eye-opening experience. Yeah. yeah, not every place is like um, Portland, Oregon, where we lived for four right. years, where there's a much more visible homeless population and probably a, an invisible one as well. But, you know, you kind of see homeless youth and, and wearing, like, furs and things. I mean, it was an mm -hmm. interesting culture. Yep. And it's difficult to picture those particular youth in a school setting. And so you kind of figure it's the full-blown, like, homeless and not attending school. And, you know, you kind of put people all the way in those binaries, right? Like, everything is okay, and you're going to school, and you're doing all these things, or you're not. Right. And that's just not true. Yep. They don't have a name tag that says right. the struggles <laughs> yeah. or issues that they're dealing yeah. with. Des Moines Public School last year, identified over a thousand of their students that were at risk of being homeless or were currently homeless. Doubled up, tripled up, uh, families precariously housed. That's a thousand students yeah. that they're still going to school. Mm -hmm. uh, they still need to stay in school and, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it is tough, but it just shows that students come with struggles that teachers aren't aware of. And we're starting to do our street outreach work in the school districts to help teachers be able to identify homeless youth because that thousand that Des Moines Public identifies is probably really higher concentrated in the elementary and middle school because hmm. uh, you can look at maybe hygiene or clothes mm -hmm. or uh, some of those components, hunger. Where high school students, the last thing they want to be is identified uh, yeah. as homeless. So it's very, very difficult to identify that. I'm sure that thousand number, it could be double if you actually have a better way to recognize and, and see symptoms and signs. Yeah. Uh, and those individuals are youth that we want to access our services. Mm -hmm. We're here to help students and anyone between that age range. We work with a lot of youth who have aged out of foster care. Foster mm -hmm. care is another at-risk component that 40-50% of youth who've been in foster care end up being homeless. Wow. Um, there's a direct correlation between that because they don't have stable adult supports because yeah. they don't have parents or anyone uh, to help and they turn 18 and then they're kind of an adult and they're on their own and, and it's tough. We have a Iowa aftercare network where we provide three years of additional support for youth who have aged out of foster care. So we have around 140 youth in Polk County that we provide that additional three years of support, much like what a parent would do. Yeah. I always ask volunteers or donors to think back when they were 18 or 19. Right. What were you like? Yeah, were you right. ready to live uh, on your own? People okay. kind of forget yeah. uh, the stupid things that we did as 18, 19-year-olds <laughs> or how we got away with stuff or mm -hmm. what we did wrong or how we recovered from from being able to fall mm -hmm. these kids just aren't able to fall that they don't have a support or a way to get back yeah uh, and they just need that kind of second chance and uh, kind of guidance they have to do all the hard work and they have to make the choices on their own we can't force them to make positive changes or do the things that they need to do we can support them uh, but they also need to drive their own decisions and, and goals and objectives versus us sitting down and telling them, hey, I'm the adult. I know what you need to do. That does not go well. <laughs> For any For any of us, yeah. I think. And so it's really sitting down and having a conversation on what are your goals? What are your dreams? How do we get there? Let's map it out. 
and just figuring that out. So it's greater than just we provide emergency shelter. Here's your bed. Right. Good luck. It's really diving deeper on what, how can we help you transform where you are. Um, and it's one reason that drew me to this agency. Our residential programs are up to two years youth can stay in our housing for free. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's really long-term yeah. versus a 90-day stay. Some of those programs are really good. I'm not bashing those, but I'm just saying it's really important if you have a, a young adult that they have that stability where they know they can be in this place for two years. They can really look longer-term on goals and objectives right. if they know that their housing piece is, is safe. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's really a, something that I'm proud of, of our agency, having that long-term approach. Yeah, I got the chance earlier in the year to see the Des Moines facility downtown oh, and, and take a tour and see some of the emergency housing and hear about the other things in the kitchens and the and the, the clothing that mm-hmm. is available. And it just really moves you, I think, to see that in person as well. But I was really impressed by just the the breadth of options as well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not one size fits all. I think there are even family options, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like, yeah, maybe you're a teenage parent or, uh, you know, in that age range and you have children, like what else are you going to do? And it's, I, I, I just was really moved by how well thought out it was and how broadly it covered a variety of situations. Well, thank you. I appreciate positive feedback. <laughs> you, you asked what my role was. It was making that facility and raising the money for that facility. Because yeah. my, my role is, is not that frontline work, but if I can provide the tools and the space for our amazing staff to do the work that they do, that's the joy that I get, or that's my objective, is providing the tools for our frontline staff to, to do amazing work, and uh, and they do. And it's really, we weren't doing a meal program before we moved into our new Youth Opportunity Center. We weren't doing emergency beds just for youth in our facility. And so we really had to design those, and really it was sitting down as a team and coming up with what are what are the most important needs, touring the, the nation, looking at other youth drop-in centers, mm-hmm. figuring out what, what are they doing well that we can emulate and, and do as well. And it really turned into a pretty cool facility that that is – we had a health and human services auditor come through last mm. year, and they audit a lot of your programs, and they audit our street outreach team and our youth opportunity center. And after they were done, they said, this is probably the second – best facility that I've ever seen nationally wow. here in Iowa, <laughs> which is pretty cool yeah. uh, that we're able to take limited donor resources, take uh, funds to operate a program and our programs and do it the best way possible yeah, uh, awesome. is, is pretty special. And it, and it also empowers our youth to see a high quality facility that our community values you, yeah, yeah. that we're not in some corner of a basement right. and where we were before. We, oh, were, yeah. we did great work. <laughs> But you want a youth to walk in those doors, be proud to be in that space, mm-hmm. and know that they're valued, and that facility is kind of that first step. Yeah, I mean, I'm unfortunately a little further removed from that age range than I'd like to admit, <laughs> but it's cool. Like, you walk in there, it's a cool space. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of great work. What, what's next? What are you most excited about right now? You know, you had talked a little bit about coming to our space. Did they mm-hmm. mention our rooftop gardens that we're going to be designing? I think so, maybe, yeah. Uh, so we have our kind of our core components of that shelter and housing, basic needs, and some of those components kind of set. But what we could tell that our youth were missing was the critical skills of workforce training. So all of our youth have gone through significant trauma. It's very difficult for to get them to go to a six-week class somewhere off-site or somewhere they don't trust or know the staff that we really need to get, have that curriculum in-house. So we were trying to look at some form of a social entrepreneurial 
new program or initiative that we would be able to achieve that need of workforce training, but have it be self-sufficient. So we've partnered and designed our Youth Opportunity Center at 612 Locust Street has a, a flat pitch roof. I'm really into uh, urban agriculture and gardening, and we did a tour of a lot of facilities in Chicago for urban agriculture, but a lot of them weren't really utilizing their roof to the fullest, and we're in a special situation in that we own our building. Mm -hmm. The ones in Chicago, they really couldn't put the infrastructure in place for a rooftop kind of structure Mm -hmm. of a garden, because if they're just renting a space and the landlord rents Mm -hmm. it to someone else or sells it or whatever, they couldn't have that infrastructure cost. We're able to do that, so we just finished, uh, close to finishing, our $1.7 million capital campaign for our lower level in our roof. We're going to place two shipping containers on the roof from a group out of Boston called Freight Farms. You purchase a full-size 90 by 40 shipping container, fully retrofitted with vertical grow hydroponic components, over 500 vertical grow towers. They have zip grow towers where you have the seedlings and you put the, the plants in and all grows with no soil, just light and water. And it's climate controlled and we can grow fresh produce year-round in Iowa. And what it's going to allow us to do is be able to employ as many of our youth as possible. So instead of looking at how much can we make from this venture, Mm -hmm. it's how many youth can we employ, (laughs) have them work 40 hours a week, pay them $12 an hour, pay them a livable wage, do soft skills, living skills training, um, so that they're able to then, after that three, four-month time period, get a job and be self-sufficient. And so it's cool. We we then took it to that next step where we've partnered with Hy-Vee, and they're going to be purchasing the produce that we grow. Wow. Uh, so we'll be growing over 1,000 plants, uh, harvesting 1,000 plants a week. Wow. That's a hard, that's a large number to mm-hmm. try and sell that yourself. Mm-hmm. And so Hy-Vee is coming alongside. They've financially invested in the project as well, where we can then start those plants, package, uh, distribute them. Our youth can take those to Hy-Vee. They can do plant samples or do some of the in-store um, stocking as well. But it's really just taking it from growing the plants all the way to selling the plants. And we can just work on youth work with our our youth and actually growing those plants. So we're just in the early process of hiring our program coordinator, uh, someone with horticulture and agriculture experience. And we'll, as we say, break roof, uh, (laughs) which is still a strange uh, thing instead of break ground. Uh, We'll be uh, doing that hopefully January, February, and then six months in. So spring of next year, our rooftop gardens and greenhouse should be up and running. We will have raised beds as well that our meal program chef will be able to grow produce uh, to serve to our our meal program. We serve over 15,000 meals a year for free for homeless youth. And so that raised beds are kind of just seasonal, but it's really those shipping containers being climate controlled and to be able to do that year round uh, in Iowa is transformational, it's innovative, it allows us to be social entrepreneurial, we can generate positive cash flow, we don't have to seek any grants for funding down the road. Although we did just get a USDA $80,000 four-year grant, uh, which is cool, I'd never written an agriculture (laughs) grant before, Uh, but it just shows you we just try and do what's best for our youth and workforce training, backed into urban agriculture, backed into figuring out how we can help youth get workforce training. And so it's it's not something I thought we would be doing five years ago, six years ago, but if it aligns with our mission of helping our youth get back and being successful, then we're going to figure it out and we're going to do an urban rooftop garden uh, and greenhouse. There isn't one in Iowa yet that does hydroponic on the roof for shipping containers, but Iowa is 
agriculture. It's yeah. what right. we do. Yeah. This might not be traditional agriculture, <laughs> but it is agriculture that's just a vehicle to do workforce training with youth. So we think local farmers can get interested in this as well as mm -hmm. urban agriculture folks and, and master gardeners. And there's a lot of uh, new population of folks that could actually see this rooftop garden and volunteer and donate mm -hmm. and participate. But even just having product in a grocery store that has our brand on it, mm -hmm. and we'll have components where it'll show that that product has been packaged by one of our youth. It'll say that youth's name. It'll show a number that they can then punch into the, our website and hear a backstory about that youth that packaged wow. that product, their dreams or kind of their goals. Just shrinking mm -hmm. that distance between that individual who's out in West mm -hmm. Des Moines who thinks nothing about homeless individuals, can see our packaging, can purchase our product, which is going to be basil and romaine heads of lettuce. Uh, that the, which is probably good right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The it's Romaine. Like, uh, you understand <laughs> your source price? a little bit. Competitive uh, market. I can yeah. charge whatever I want. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but yeah, it's just shrinking our community by having individuals just shopping mm -hmm. that learn about our agency is something I'm so excited about because we do not do a good job of tooting our own horn. Nonprofits in general don't do a good yeah. job. We don't market. I don't have on the outside of my facility the word Iowa Homeless Youth Centers because I'm not going to put that up there and stigmatize the youth that, right. that we serve. It just says IHYC or it might just say 612. But that's really hard from a marketing perspective. Yeah. You can't, if no one knows what IHYC stands for, but they will if they're purchasing some of our produce mm -hmm. uh, where we can tell that story in the packaging. So I'm really excited about that um, coming up in the spring, which is a little bit of a long-winded way to no, answer that's what's happening next. But, I want to like uh, high-five you right now, except <laughs> it would be a huge close-up on the mic. But it, that's really, really cool. Um, and just what a creative way to solve a couple of different issues at once and, and tackle those. And it's been funny, you know, neither of us are, are native Iowans, but you know, some of the people we've talked to, we talked to Jessica Avant from the Des Moines Parks and Rec Board, and mm -hmm. she was talking about trying to do urban gardens in yep. the different parks in the park district, and we talked to Katie Rock from the Polk County Soil and Water Conservation District, and it's just like, all these connections are, like, I'm visualizing them in my mind, and just the, the entire ecosystem, not just literally from an agriculture perspective, but also the socioeconomic impacts and everything that... Yep. You know, I think Des Moines is a great place to do these things, and I'm just really excited to hear more in the future about what this does for your youth. Yeah, you guys will have to come to our ribbon cutting yeah, in the, in the spring. Yeah, So with the rooftop garden and everything else going on, how can our listeners support IHYC? You know, we're always looking for individuals that are passionate or interested in making an impact and, and helping. The best way to do would be to just go to iowahomelessyouth.org. Our website, we have a lot of volunteer engagement opportunities. It's holiday giving time. We have a lot of youth, over 200 youth that we pair with a volunteer to provide some kind of small piece of Christmas for, for youth throughout the, the holiday time. So yeah, just go to iowahomelessyouth.org. We're always taking financial donations as well as kind of time is just as valuable. There isn't one way to give. It can always be financial, but also your own time, or just being an advocate or champion for, for our agency or, or for homeless youth in our community. So lots of ways to give. Just check out our website. Awesome. Yeah. And if I recall, some smart person said, just show up and ask how you can volunteer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Harass nonprofits. Yes. <laughs> that is not what I said. <laughs> so our, our final question of the night, what should we have for dinner tonight? I love to cook. I cook all of our meals at home. I think that you guys need to have ham hock soup. 
Okay, oh, that are would be you, a new one for us. Yeah. Are you? That is not an Iowa thing. So okay. my family uh, is originally <laughs> from Georgia okay. uh, and Florida, uh, and they grew up poor. And when you grow up poor, you use less desirable pieces of the mm-hmm. animal, mm-hmm. Uh, and hawk is one of them. So okay. that is the shank would be like the shin of the mm-hmm. pig, and the hawk would be like the ankle. So if okay. you go to Gateway Market or even Price Chopper or, or Hy-Vee, you can get a smoked ham hock. Hmm. Uh, it's 2 $3 for a hock. Get a couple hocks, throw them in a pot, fill it with water, let it cook for low and slow for about eight hours. Hmm. Uh, then pull the meat out, shred it, uh, take the bones out, put the meat back in, and put your favorite vegetables in. And then you have ham hock soup. My kids love it. Yeah. Uh, but it's very tender. It sounds crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I know it does. But it's the, the smoke gives it a really nice flavor and the ability to the, put whatever vegetables you have yeah. at home. Yeah. And then you just use the that ham hock as kind of the seasoning. They do it in the South a lot for green beans They'll do mm-hmm. or collards. Mm-hmm. They'll just throw a hock in with that. And just that's mm-hmm. some of the seasoning. So nice. I, I mean, I love these flexible, easy to remember recipes. Yeah. <laughs> Water and hocks. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, I would go for ham hock soup. Well, fantastic. Toby, thank you so much for your time. We were really excited to hear about your organization. Those are some amazing things you've already accomplished. We're really excited for the coming year. So, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And we're back. Yes, uh, thank you again to Toby O'Berry. It was fantastic talking to him, um, hearing about all the great stuff that IHYC is doing and the stuff they have coming up for 2019. So if you're interested in learning more about the organization, getting involved, or donating, you can go to iowahomelessyouth.org and check out everything they have there. Yeah, that was our, our first episode in kind of our December nonprofit series. Um, again, we really encourage you to join us in giving to these organizations that we're talking to this month. Up next, we're excited to talk to some people from the Young Women's Resource Center, another really great and worthy organization helping people in our community. Uh, we also have some really exciting stuff maybe coming up next month. We'll release more details on that as those become clear, but we're, we're working on some really cool things and we hope that you will join us when the time comes so stick with us throughout december we have been bright lights big data and we'll see you next time